Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Seth Rogavoy. Seth is a writer, editor, award-winning critic, radio commentator, lecturer, and author of numerous books, including Bob Dylan, Prophet, Mystic, Poet, a full-length analysis of Bob Dylan's life and work, and The Essential Klezmer, a music lover's guide to Jewish roots and soul music. He is also the programming consultant, artistic director for the Yiddish Book Center's annual Yidstock Festival of New Yiddish Music. Welcome, Seth. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Great to have you. I Usually you and I are uh, talking about Klezmer, um, so thanks for joining me today to talk a little bit about Bob Dylan. Well, one of my other favorite topics. <laughs> Again, another one of the books that you wrote extensively uh, and brilliantly about a Thank topic. Um, uh, so what are Dylan's Jewish roots? I know he grew up in a traditional Jewish home. He attended summer camp. What can you tell us about his Jewish background? Uh, Bob Dylan really grew up in, in a lot of people don't realize, um, in a very Jewish home um, and in an extended Jewish family uh, with immigrant grandparents and great-grandparents. Uh, although it was a small town called Hibbing, Minnesota, at the uh, practically at the Canadian border, um, the town did have a, um, a very close-knit Jewish community. Um, with a lot of connections to uh, people in Duluth, where Dylan was actually born, and uh, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul. But in Hibbing itself, um, Dylan's family were really at the center of, of Jewish life in the town, such that his mother, for example, was the president of the local chapter of Hadassah, his father was the president of the local chapter of the B'nai B'rith, the men's fraternal organization. Um, for stretches of time, Dylan's Yiddish-speaking grandmother lived in the house with them, um, and she only spoke Yiddish, and, and we do know that, that Dylan had some facility with Yiddish early on in his life. Um, his uh, immigrant grandfather or great-grandfather uh, studied Talmud every afternoon, so so Dylan saw that and and was aware of that, and you know he went through the whole Jewish school thing, and and his bar mitzvah was huge. The the legend has it that it was the biggest bar mitzvah in Hibbing, and and it uh, there was one big hotel in town called the Android Hotel, and uh, and the place was packed when when it was uh, his turn to become bar mitzvah um, because of the position of his family and. There was it, it, he was part of an extended family on both his mother's and father's side with lots of cousins, aunts, and uncles, um, and you know they were prominent in the in both the Jewish community and in the larger community in terms of um, having shops downtown. In particular, Dylan's dad was and his uh, uncles owned an appliance store, and cousins uh, or aunts and uncles owned all the movie theaters, not only in Hibbing but in the greater region. So, um, and yes, he went to uh, a Zionist summer camp for five summers uh, in Wisconsin, Camp Herzl. Um, so he, you know, he had that kind of experience. This is in the uh, early to mid-1950s, so um, you can imagine there was a lot of singing of Hebrew folk songs and Israeli folk songs at the time, 
and you know, in photos of Dylan at that summer camp, he has a guitar, and everybody's uh, standing around him. So already you see the seeds of what he will become as a song leader at the uh, Zionist uh, Jewish summer camp. Who knew? So yeah. is it safe to say, Seth, that he kind of came on the scene in the midst of what we think of as, you know, folk um, music as being the music of the day, and that he kind of struck out from that? Was it the Central Park concert that launched him into a new trajectory? Well, it wasn't Central Park. Um Central Park was a big concert for Simon and Garfunkel, actually. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Central Park. That's okay. So, yes, it's totally safe to say and accurate that, that uh, you know, Dylan hit New York as a folk singer. And, um, of course, this was when the great uh, folk revival was, was at its peak in the, the late 1950s, early 1960s, when rock and roll was actually, um, you know, rock and roll... Uh, kind of exploded in 1956, and by 1960, um, Elvis had gone into the Army, and several of the other rock, early rock and roll people were kind of fading, or, or temporarily, <laughs> they were either in jail, or, um, you know, they had uh, been quieted by scandals. So folk music actually was the big pop music of the time, and Dylan had this background in folk from, uh, as I said, from his uh, folk singing in Jewish summer camp, and then for his uh, year or two uh, at the University of Minnesota, um, he's playing folk clubs there. And uh, so, yeah, so, um, but you know, the thing is that earlier on, as a teenager, he had actually, his, uh, his goal was, was to be a rock and roller, and he mostly played piano, mostly in the style of Little Richard. Uh, and that is what he really loved, and um, and you know there are some rec- he did a very famous uh, concert at the at his high school and Hibbing High School was this amazingly beautiful huge high school with an unbelievable you know we think of school theaters as auditoriums this was a theater and the reason why they had this great thing in this small town was it was built by the mining companies that um, really were the whole reason for the existence of the town. Everybody worked uh, at the iron mines, except for the people like the Zimmermans, Bob Dylan's family, who you know, sold appliances to the miners. So, um, so Dylan actually set out to be a rock and roller, and then, and then he got into folk music when he went to, off to college, came to New York City as a folk singer, did that for a number of years, started... I mean, the first innovation was then to write his own songs. His very first album was a song of folk and blue, traditional folk and blues songs with only uh, one or two original songs on it, and one of them was a uh, uh, tribute to Woody Guthrie, his, uh, one of his early folk idols. But with his second album and then on, um, he was known for writing his own songs, which was somewhat of an innovation at the time, and especially the political protest songs. Then I think what you may have been referring to is, is the big concert that kind of changed things. It was actually, he started recording after his third or fourth album. He, he started using electric instruments, and, and by 1964, he, he was uh, really uh, recording, uh, went into what, what became called folk rock or, or you know, full-fledged rock and roll. And then he appeared at the Newport Folk Festival, uh. Uh, backed by... Uh, 
a band that actually was playing at the Newport Folk Festival um, as a blues band from Chicago, um, and he just drafted those musicians to back him playing a set of songs, which he had already recorded, which were rock and roll songs. And, you know, at this time, we're, we're of course, talking about, uh, I mean, his biggest hit and what he had been known for even before he got to Newport, which was Like a Rolling Stone. So, you know, it, it's a legendary moment when Dylan goes electric, but, you know, that's also a lot of hype, and, and the historical record tells a little bit of a different story. Do you think he saw himself as part of sort of the 60s revolution or just a poet musician with something of a social agenda? Um, actually, neither. <laughs> okay, I'm striking out here. <laughs> no, 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 it's a great question because those are the two things that, that are probably most assumed, that, you know, Dylan equals the 60s counterculture or, you know, Dylan was, saw himself in the vanguard of the, the political movement of, you know, civil rights and anti-Vietnam. And neither is really, uh, although, yes, he, um, I think actually what happens is Dylan foments the counterculture, really. Um, not purposely, but it just kind of happens with his innovations, with basically of taking rock, rock and roll music, which never dealt with, with serious topics until he did. And, you know, we know this for a fact. We know that, that the Beatles, for example, just made kind of, you know, songs about love and teenage kind of stuff. And, and of course, they were great. But we also know that George Harrison got a hold of, the, of Bob Dylan's first uh, protest album, Free Will and Bob Dylan, sat down and he said to... Uh, John, um, Paul, and Ringo, hey, guys, you got to listen to this. And, and we know that John had this look in his eyes like, oh, no, <laughs> we, we need to change. And that's, you know, and, and he really sparked a whole change in the Beatles. Now, of course, the Beatles had influenced him, too, unbeknownst to them, to, um, to go back to his roots in, in early rock and roll music. So, um, you know, and... Dylan sang those political, pro- wrote those political protest songs, um, I think, because he cared about that stuff at the time. He was very good at it. Um, he certainly, uh, I think there, and, and what I really, my whole book is about, is that there is a perhaps unbeknownst um, dynamic going on with him, given his background um, and, and given his um, his. Uh, great learning about um, the prophetic tradition so that, that he does in, in many different ways draw upon that. So uh, although, he, you know, and, and that was a very short period of time when he actually wrote overtly topical political protest songs. And, um, you know, D- Dylan really uh, was and is an artist, and, and he's mostly uh, does what it is that at that moment he feels like doing. So, yes, in a way, he launched this whole political protest movement. He launched this whole countercultural movement in, in so many ways with opening the doors to people who didn't have uh, traditionally sweet voices, who, who dressed, you know, he, he was one of the early icons in terms of the way people were going to dress during the 60s and their attitude. A lot of what Dylan gave during this time was simply his the way he would uh, talk to the press and 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 you know he was a master of of uh, conducting these these uh, 
hysterically funny but very provocative press conferences and, and giving these interviews. Yeah, so, they, um, they are great. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in your introduction, you write a little bit about, and I hope I get the pronunciation correct, Elikiam Zunzer. Eliokum Zunzer, El- yeah. <laughs> um, and his folk protest tradition. I wonder if you can expand on this a bit, because I do think it, it um, sort of weaves its way into Dylan's work. Absolutely. Now, uh, so just for, for uh, let me try to quickly um, explain who Eliokum Zunzer was, because uh, he's a character that, that I continue to be obsessed by. And I'm currently working on a book about him, actually. Ah. And um, so, a hundred years before Bob Dylan, in Eastern Europe, in in what was then uh, Russia, was or uh, Lithuania and Russia, uh, there was a guy named Elyokum Zunser. And long story short, he started writing. He took the uh, traditional. Yiddish folk music forms, and he started writing. He applied uh, topical and political um, themes to these songs. So he was the original Yiddish political protest singer. And he became very well known throughout the land. Other groups, um, other folk groups, would sing his songs very much like uh, in the way that 100 years later, uh, it was really Peter, Paul, and Mary who popularized Bob Dylan's songs in, in the beginning. Um, and, and that's exactly what happened with El Joachim Zunzer, a group called the, the Brody Singers, who were um, very popular around the land. They, they started almost exclusively singing El Joachim Zunzer songs. And, you know, and, and he really kind of ushered in this uh, counterculture or, or, you know, revolution both musically and, and politically. Um, and not a lot of people know about him. Very few people know about him. I stumbled upon this guy when I was researching my Klezmer book. And immediately what the descriptions about what he did in just a few sentences jumped out at me because they resembled exactly what Bob Dylan did 100 years later. Um, do I think that Bob Dylan consciously knew about Zunser and patterned himself along Zunser? Absolutely not. But, but I think what it shows is that there's this current running through history and cultural history and Jewish cultural history and Yiddish cultural history, um, and I think that that Dylan was, you know, plugged into that, um, that the current itself, so that he really was, so that in in some way, Zunzer was the original Dylan, and and Dylan really was the hundred years later, um, you know, picking up where Zunzer left off. Well, it's all fascinating. Keep writing, keep writing, Seth. Um, yep. You you reveal all sorts of amazing stories. That's um, what I do. And you'll be here at the Yiddish Book Center on Sunday, February twenty sixth, to um, introduce. We're screening Tangled Up in Bob, which is a documentary, and you'll be here to introduce and provide a little talk back uh, about the about the film. And you will. And the film. The film you know, takes. Um, the, the film takes viewers on a trip to Hibbing, on several trips to Hibbing, actually. And so you get to see, uh, you know, both in contemporary uh, uh, film and in old photos, uh, downtown Hibbing, what it looked like, where the uh, stores were, the house where, where Dylan grew up, uh, the the Hibbing uh, School Auditorium, which is really a grand theater that I, that I just spoke about. So, 
So it's it's a you know, and also they interview a lot of the people who uh, some of his high school teachers, people who knew him then, and you also get a sense of um, you know what Hibbing thinks of their uh, second favorite son, because actually the most popular person to come out of Hibbing, uh, Minnesota, was not Bob Dylan, but was Kevin McHale, the basketball player, of course. Oh well, because. Because sports trump uh, <laughs> yes. literature. Yeah. Or music, yeah. Um, well, it'll be great to have you here for the screening, and I know you'll have um, books will be available for sale and signing um, at that time. So uh, thanks again for joining me today. For our listeners, your book is Bob Dylan, Prophecy, Mythic Poet. Uh, the books will be available here at the Center on the 26th, and for those who are unable to be here to hear Seth talk a little bit about Dylan. Um, the books are available on the Center's online bookstore, shopyiddishbookcenter.org. For information about the screening, visit yiddishbookcenter.org. Um, and I look forward to seeing you here on the 26th and again when we kick off Yidstock 2017 on July 13th. That's great, yes. Looking forward to both of those. Okay. Thanks again, Seth. See you soon. Thanks so much, Lisa. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexa Sewing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.